Hello and welcome to Sex Ed for Sex Med, a podcast produced by the Ohio Sexual Health Collaborative for medical providers caring for women. However, women experiencing sexual difficulties who perceive a lower quality of life do not feel like themselves and are looking to increase their knowledge of sexual health are also encouraged to listen. I'm your host, Dr. Terry Gibbs, and together with my rotating medical experts, we'll be providing evidence-based, fundamental, and advanced concepts for evaluating, educating, and empowering women with sexual concerns. We'll be addressing physical, mental, and sexual health wellness as all these aspects are important to enjoying a healthy sexual life. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Heather Wall, who's a fellowship-trained gynecologist in minimally invasive surgery and chronic pelvic pain. She is a part of a pelvic health clinic in Toledo, Ohio. We will be continuing our discussion about sexual pain. Dr. Wall will address sexual pain from the perspective of a pelvic pain specialist. Please enjoy our discussion with Dr. Heather Wall. Here we are with uh, Dr. Heather Wall, and we're thankful, Heather, for your coming today and being a part of our podcast. Thanks for having me. You're an obstetrician gynecologist and trained, fellowship trained in, uh, amongst other things, pelvic pain. As a specialist in pelvic pain, you're very unique in, in being able to answer and talk about a subject we started with the last podcast, and that is sexual pain. Mm-hmm. And from your perspective as a specialist, would you talk a minute about how you approach sexual pain? Absolutely. So again, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about sexual pain and how it relates to sexual health. It's thought that in the United States, at least one in 10 women have pain with sex. And we say at least because that number is likely very much higher. And unfortunately, this is just a topic that most people don't talk about. Everybody's out there thinking that all women are having, you know, this amazing, wonderful, healthy sex life. And that's just not the case. So when I am seeing a patient in my clinic who reports having pain with sex, it's really important that we spend a lot of time focused on what exactly she means by pain with sex, because it's a very broad term. Pain with sex may include pain with initial penetration during intercourse. It may involve pain with deep penetration during intercourse or both of those things. It may be pain that starts during the act of penetrative intercourse itself. But for other women, it may be pain that starts minutes to hours after sex and may last for, you know, that same amount of time to even days after sex. So it is very different for each individual. It's also important that when we're talking about pain with sex, you know, that we talk about masturbation. So sex with oneself. And if a woman does have pain with masturbation, again, is it pain when she's just performing external masturbation? Or does she also have pain when she's performing penetrative masturbation? Again, it's good to see if there's a connection between pain with sex with yourself, again, also known as masturbation, and pain that you're having with a partner. And I also think it's important that this may be a same-sex partner. This may be an opposite-sex partner. So it doesn't matter the type of partner that you have sex with. It's still possible to have pain with sex. We usually approach, of course, 
patients with starting with a discussion about the, the medical history. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about how you approach that. Yeah, great question. I mean, first and foremost, history, we learn very early on in medical school that history is the most important aspect of seeing a patient. And so it is really important to get that detailed history. So specifically, if we're talking about pain with sex, well, how long has pain with sex been going on? Again, I've already kind of briefly mentioned how does your pain with sex present? Again, is it initial penetration, deep penetration, or both? Asking about, again, masturbation, but also, you know, really getting a good history on traumas. Was there any emotional trauma that you have experienced or are still experiencing? Sexual assault or abuse is also an important aspect of sexual history, as well as physical abuse. So, you know, the reason that that's so important in obtaining a sexual health history is that, you know, studies have shown that women who have a history of trauma, and again, it doesn't matter if that trauma is emotional, sexual, or physical trauma, but women with a history of trauma report higher rates of pain with sex. Now, that's not to say that all women have a history of trauma, but again, it really is an important piece that we, we want to make sure that we're including in the history. Other aspects of history is that we need to know what other medical conditions patients have been diagnosed with and what medications that patients are taking. Certain medications may impact sexual libido and can also kind of cause, you know, physical changes for some women, you know, they, that may be vaginal dryness issues that are, you know, contributing to pain with sex. So, you know, that's an important piece of, of history to get as well, whether a woman is still having her periods or not. So is she premenopausal or postmenopausal figuring out symptoms from a vaginal perspective that may be related to, again, either premenopausal or postmenopausal menopausal status. So those are important aspects of, of medical history. And then also surgical history. You know, some women may have experienced vulvar or vaginal surgery. You know, sometimes that surgery that we talk about is at the time of a delivery. So obstetric history, you know, did you have a tear that needed to be repaired? So, you know, that is considered surgical history that we often bypass that if a woman had a significant tear at the time of her delivery that needed to be repaired, that's part of the, the surgical history that we want to, to know. I think this is going to be an obvious question, but, you know, with discussing this topic with other people, we've talked about why do you think it's important to talk about sexual health history with all of your patients? Would you comment on that for just a minute? Yeah, absolutely. Part of the reason that talking about sexual health with your patients is so important is because it is really important to your patients, right? That's first and foremost. It gets to the point that if we're not comfortable talking about these things and raising these questions to our patients, then they're not going to be comfortable talking about these things, right? So you really want to have that open line of communication. Sexual health affects all aspects of a patient's life, physically, emotionally. Sex is a big part of a relationship. A fair amount of my patients who do experience pain with sex talk about the fact that it has had such a negative impact on their relationship with their partner. Some of my patients have, you know, confided in me that their partner thinks that they're cheating on them because their pain 
makes it to the point where they don't want to be touched by their partner. Those are conversations that sometimes we have the woman bring her partner into clinic so that I can talk to both of them about how, again, common pain with sex is and how it is very normal that a woman who is, experiences pain with sex has a loss of libido. As I often say, it's kind of the body's way of protecting itself, right? Why would you want to put your body through something that you know is going to cause you pain? Right. And so, you know, oftentimes we see that once we are able to help a patient decrease pain that she's experiencing with sex, uh, we often see that the libido and sex drive increase once pain is improved. That's great. And I think that once you get that history, then the next step would be the physical. How do you approach that? Yeah. Another great question. I mean, physical exam is also really important. And I think most women who go to their providers for their say annual pelvic exams, we're kind of almost familiar that a woman has a speculum exam right off the bat to look at her cervix. Maybe she's due for a pap smear and the pap smear for cervical cancer screening uh, is obtained. And then that woman may have what's known as a bimanual exam after that. So typically that involves two gloved fingers inside the vagina and then the physician's other hand on the abdomen. And the whole purpose of that exam is to just feel size and shape of the uterus, mobility of the uterus, to check the ovaries, making sure that there's no masses or fullness that's appreciated. But that's kind of the purpose of of that exam. But neither one of those exams, neither the speculum exam or the bimanual exam actually assesses the pelvic floor muscles and the nerves of the vulva. So we really do take a step back. And so the first thing that I do as part of a pelvic exam is actually a Q-tip test. So a Q-tip test is where a small Q-tip is used to touch on the outside. So the vulva, we touch on multiple areas, starting kind of on the labia majora. So the larger lips of the vulva, then we use that Q-tip to touch in the interlabial folds. So kind of that area between the labia majora, the larger lips of the vulva and the labia minora, the smaller lips of the vulva. And we see if any of those areas where we're just lightly depressing the skin. So this is not, we're not going deep. So just light depression if that causes any pain to the patient. And then the last part of that Q-tip test is we use the Q-tip to palpate several areas along the vestibule, which is kind of the area right at the opening to the vagina, right in front of the hymen. So that's that fringe-like tissue, that hymenal ring that women have. And we see, again, if any of those areas where we're palpating with the Q-tip cause any pain. If there is pain, experience there, then we like the woman to give us a number on that pain scale. I know it's not a great pain scale that we have, but it's what we have. So, you know, on a scale of one to 10, one being minimal pain and 10 being really severe pain, what are you experiencing? And, you know, sometimes we may make the decision to get some cultures at that time to test for yeast or bacterial vaginosis, but other times we may not make that decision to get cultures. So again, it really just depends on what that Q-tip test is showing us. But that test can indicate that maybe the nerves of the vulva are contributing to pain with initial penetration. So again, that's the importance of that Q-tip test. After we do the Q-tip test, then we do an internal vaginal exam with just one gloved finger to start. And what we do is we typically start on one side inside the vagina and we palpate just with light compression, the muscles that make up the pelvic floor. 
So typically we start with the pubococcygeus muscle, kind of the first muscle group closest to the opening of the vagina, right behind the hymen. And we just compress on that area. And then we kind of go mid vagina, kind of half of the gloved finger inside the vagina to press on the obturator or levator muscles. And then we go even further back. So typically kind of placing the entire gloved finger all the way at the deepest part of the vagina to kind of press along the piriformis muscles. So, you know, we, we do kind of superficial and, and deep testing of these muscle groups to see if any of that causes a patient pain. So we do that on the right side. We do that on the left side. We also then use that same glove finger and press on the urethra. So that's where urine comes out of the bladder to see if it, if that causes any pain, we press on the bladder itself to see if that causes any pain. We then press on the cervix and then the uterus, and then kind of in the area of each of the ovaries, also known as the adnexa. So we do it again, if this is a very detailed exam and at each point of that exam, if the woman is experiencing pain, again, we ask her to rate her pain on a scale of one to 10. And so this is what allows us to assess the pelvic floor muscles to see if the muscles themselves are actually contributing to pain. And if we didn't take this time to do this initial step, if we had just gone to a speculum exam or just gone to a bimanual exam, then we would never have known this, right? So that's kind of why we always do that single gloved finger exam first. And then typically I will do a bimanual exam, but it's often rare that I will do a speculum exam during that visit because oftentimes in pressing on the muscles in women who do report pain with sex, they're so uncomfortable that you don't want to cause them further discomfort. And speaking of discomfort, I do also want to say, you know, if at any point a patient needs you to stop, I always, you know, let the patient know that she is in control before I do any part of the pelvic exam. You know, you want your patients to know that they're in control. And if they request that you stop, that the exam is done. And oftentimes I'll even say to a patient as well, you know, even if you don't tell me to stop, if I see that you're in significant pain, I'll make the call for the exam to be done. So I think those are really important conversations that you want to have with the patient, because again, these are patients that already know that they have pain. For most women, they also will tell you in their history, oh gosh, every time I have a pap smear done, it's so terrible, right? So, you know, you really want to be cognizant of what a woman is feeling as much as possible during the exam by facial expressions, that type of thing. So even if your patient doesn't say that the exam needs to be over, you, you should make that call if, if you see that she's in a lot of pain. You, so you've, you've looked at the muscles, you've looked at the introitus, it, we know that there's so many reasons for oh so pain. many reasons. <laughs> so would you continue with uh, trying to uh, examine the patient for deep pain? Yeah. So I mean, with with deep pain, that can be coming from the muscles, right? So it's not just pain with initial penetration that can be a cause of muscle pain, but deep muscle pain can also lead to pain with intercourse. Um, specifically, typically deep penetration with intercourse. But the other thing that you're feeling for, especially on the bimanual exam is any nodularity. So nodularity, you know, may indicate that a patient has endometriosis. You know, if you're feeling that, then, you know, sometimes that can be why a woman has pain with sex. So, you know, one out of 10 women in the United States have endometriosis. You know, most women with endometriosis do report some level of pain with sex. Those are other things that you're assessing as part of your exam. 
So we're talking to learners today and they say, I mean, as a specialist, that is wonderful, Dr. Wall, you do all these things. I've got eight minutes to do an annual <laughs> yes. exam. What are you going to tell a generalist on how to get to the point if I don't do it and I'm still going to, you know, that I'm going to make a referral to you, Yes. but, but how do I gather this information so I can serve this woman and get to the, the bottom of this need and get her to the right place. Yeah. Well, what would you tell somebody? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, I have the luxury, right, that I get to spend an hour with all of my new patients in my chronic pelvic pain. Clinic. Can I say wow? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, again, I understand that you know, a, a general provider is not going to have that amount of time um, with their patients, unfortunately, right? We wish that we all had that amount of time that, that I have the luxury to have. So I think that, you know, really the most important thing is making that sexual history a part of your annual exam. Just asking the question, do you have pain with sex, right? That's a really good place to start. And if a woman says yes, again, is that pain with initial penetration, deep penetration, or both, right? And maybe that's all the history that you get, right? And then during your exam, you don't even need to do a Q-tip test, right? Save that for the specialist if you think that that's going to be helpful. But do take the time to just do a really quick single gloved finger exam before you place a speculum in and just ask the patient, does any of this feel painful, right? You know, you can go side to side. You don't have to be as detailed as what I'm going to be, but just getting that kind of cursory information to say, you know what, you know, this may be coming from your muscles. You don't need to spend the time counseling the patient about what it means to have pain coming from the muscles and what you can do about it. That's where I can come into play. But just to say, you know, this may be coming from your muscles. So, hey, I'd like to have you see a chronic pelvic pain specialist for further evaluation and management and see if there's anything that from a treatment perspective that they think would be helpful, right? Just adding those brief things to your annual exam can be absolutely life-changing for a patient because they're going to feel heard right? That's the biggest complaint that we hear from a lot of patients. I hear it all the time. I told my provider, I like, I've, I feel like I've had this discussion with them for many years and I wasn't heard. And then at, at one day I felt like I was heard and that's why I'm coming to see you. So people just want to feel heard and this should not add on a significant amount of time to an annual exam. Do you like the use of questionnaires for the? I love questionnaires. Good. Yeah, I really do. I think a questionnaire can be given to a patient as soon as they check in to the visit. You know, my questionnaire is very, very long, but again, that's, that's because this is what I do as a specialist, you know, as a general provider, I don't think that the questionnaire needs to be 13 pages long. Like mine is, I think that this can be just a single page, you know, maybe front and back where, you know, in addition to asking about medical history, menstrual history, obstetric history, gynecologic history, you just put a brief sexual history, right? That's just a few questions. Yeah. So this does not need to add, you know, significant length to anybody's questionnaire. But again, most questionnaires do include, right, that obstetric menstrual history. Mm -hmm. So sexual history just can be a couple questions. Good. That's great. So we've got our medical history, we've got all those aspects of that. We've done the exam. Mm -hmm. 
and you're starting to formulate your ideas, where do you go with the evaluation? Give us, give us a, a typical patient. If I'm seeing a patient and based on history, based on you know physical exam, if majority of the pain really does seem to be coming from the muscles of the pelvic floor, you know, that's where we're going to talk about, again, myofascial pain is the kind of medical term, which is a hypersensitivity, a hypercontractility in the muscles um, themselves and in the fascia, which is the connective tissue overlying our muscles. And this has been found to be kind of most frequently in the, you know, low back, the abdominal wall and the pelvic floor. And it can be, you know, in one of those areas, all of those areas are in combination of those areas. So again, if, if myofascial pain, which is, you know, sometimes referred to as pelvic floor dysfunction, if it's just located in the, you know, pelvic floor muscles or high, high tone, um, again, there's multiple different terms, sometimes vaginismus, right? So we hear a lot of different terms, but it goes back to like the muscles themselves being hypersensitive and hypercontracted. You know, if that's contributing, then I'm going to talk to a patient about getting them in to see a pelvic floor physical therapist. And I, I think that you have a discussion with a pelvic floor physical therapist coming up in, in one of your future podcasts. You know, if the nerves are contributing, well, then we talk about, you know, typical treatments for nerve related pain of the vulva or at the opening of the vagina. And those are typically topical treatments as first line treatments. And if topical treatments are not successful, then we may need to, you know, talk to a patient about oral nerve modulating medications. One thing that I haven't mentioned, but if there's like tissue issues themselves, right? It's addressing those tissue changes and issues. So like, if there's give us an example, right? Like so atrophic changes. Yeah, like if like vaginal atrophy related to again that loss of estrogen from like perimenopausal and menopausal time period, well, then it may be talking about vaginal moisturizers and or you know, prescription treatments like vaginal estrogens. Or if there's actually a skin condition that I'm, you know, thinking could be contributing. So something say like lichen sclerosis or lichen planus. So these are, you know, considered autoimmune types of skin conditions that can occur in the vulva. You know, then we need to potentially get a biopsy and start the appropriate treatment for those things if, you know, if that is confirmed on biopsy. So there's a lot of different kind of things, like, again, as you've already mentioned, that can be contributing. But those are some of the things that I would, you know, talk to patients about when it does come to kind of treatment of pain that they're having with sex. So you've talked a lot about entering the vagina. Mm -hmm. uh, you've talked about muscles. Yep. What, what are the more common things you find, if you will, for deep causes of deep pain? Muscles for sure. Absolutely. You know, again, wanting to rule out endometriosis as a contributor, again, especially if we're feeling nodularity and, you know, if the history that the patient's providing, you know, the menstrual history, family history, um, if that's, you know, concerning for endometriosis, again, we want to keep all of those things in the back of our mind. So sometimes it may be, you know, getting a pelvic ultrasound as a next step to evaluate too, that there's not like any cyst on the ovary that may be contributing to pain with deep penetration. You know, for some women, you know, if they've tried these other things that we've already kind of mentioned as treatment options, and it hasn't been helpful. Again, if there is any thought that endometriosis could be contributing to pain, then, you know, maybe we have the discussion about taking a look inside or doing, you know, what's known as a diagnostic laparoscopy as the next treatment. 
So, you know, those are kind of all things that I always keep in the back of my mind. I mean, for most of my patients, I always like to have that conversation of, let's start with the least invasive methods first, because least invasive methods have the least amount of side effects, right? The least amount of risks before we start to think about those, you know, invasive options that typically have more risks associated with them, right? So that we we're really doing a kind of mindful stepwise approach in the management of pain with sex. To round it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I could talk about this right, for hours, right? Exactly. <laughs> we, uh, we know that. <laughs> yeah. And you're doing a wonderful job capsulizing this. Oh, well, thank you. And I'd really like to know how you approach the, the plan for care. Yeah. So I think first and foremost, when it comes to pain with sex for most women, this has been a chronic issue, right? It's, it's been present for six months or longer, right? And unfortunately with any chronic issue, it takes time before you start to notice improvement. And so I think that that's one thing when we do talk about the treatment I'm very mindful to have that discussion that this needs to be treated like any other chronic medical condition. It's going, not even it may take time. It is going to take time before you start to notice improvement. You know, if we start some topical treatments, say for a patient who has nerve-related pain at the opening of the vagina, that is a cause of pain. I let that patient know that it may take six to eight weeks of using this medication every single day before you start to notice improvement, right? When it comes to say pelvic floor physical therapy or pelvic health physical therapy, as it's, you know, sometimes referred to as, I let a patient know you're gonna be sore for those first several sessions. The physical therapists are retraining muscles, right? So this is like any new exercise routine that you do. And it may take six to eight sessions of internal vaginal therapy before you start to notice some improvement, which is why it's so important to stick with physical therapy and complete the entire course. And then as part of a chronic condition, we can never guarantee that a patient is going to have complete resolution of pain, right? I don't like to make false promises, right? So kind of what we talk about as our goal is that Our goal is to help you decrease your pain. Our goal is to help you have a better quality of life. You know, for some women, are we able to help them get to a pain-free state? Absolutely. We have, we have those patient success stories that I can definitely share, but that may not be every patient, right? So we have to have that realistic goal and, and set those realistic expectations. And then this may be something that a woman has to manage lifelong. So meaning that as part of physical therapy, you know, patients are given home exercises and they may have to do their home exercises every day, or maybe every other day for the rest of their life so that they're actually still kind of in a good state, right? So it's just letting the patient know that this is going to be a journey that we're going to be on together. Our, our goal is again, to help them have that quality of life that they want, but it's, it will take time to notice that improvement, but we are on that journey with them. In, in summary, mm-hmm. um, what would you, any pearls of wisdom that you would leave a learner with yeah. for, for getting into this? Please, please, please talk about sex. Please, please, please <laughs> talk about masturbation. 
And if these are things that you're not comfortable talking to patients with, I recommend getting yourself in front of a mirror (laughs) and saying these terms until you do feel comfortable with them. Because if your patient sees that you turn red in the face, every time you bring up the topic of sex or masturbation and talk about sex toys and lubricants and, you know, all of these other things that go along with sex and sexual health, if they see that you turn red in the face or kind of cringe (laughs) when you're having this conversation, they're not going to feel comfortable opening up to you, nor should they. So again, if you were not raised to feel comfortable talking about these things, that's okay. You can get comfortable, but again, challenge yourself. I guess that's what I would say to the learners, challenge yourself to get comfortable. And I think again, talking about these things in front of a mirror so that you see what your expressions look like or how you're coming across is really important. And then I also challenge you again to, you know, make these things part of just your normal annual, right? Whether that's putting these questions on a questionnaire so that you, you know, kind of have these to look at so that if you don't feel as comfortable asking patients directly, well, then you have a questionnaire to at least kind of make you a little bit more accountable. So the biggest thing is please just ask, (laughs) ask patients these questions. Well, thank you so much. You know, you're, you're obviously knowledgeable, but you're also very passionate about this subject. Thank you. (laughs) And we really appreciate you taking the time today and uh, sharing this with our learners. Well, again, thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for joining our discussion with Dr. Heather Wall. For a copy of the article she included about today's discussion and an outline of the talk, please see the show notes. Also, her office number is included for those wanting an appointment to see Dr. Wall.